I'm with you Because I'm stuck fucked up in this catch-22 Got a shallow grave to bury all this hate So you know when I go it's gonna be too late I used to rely on the tears that I cry You know I used to get by with the taste of a Welcome to Cutthroat Queen's podcast Where fish are friends and food We're here to take an open and honest look at all things indie horror. My name is Brett Mitchell Kent, and I'm joined by the heir to the fortune made by trademarking the smell of mildew, Chelsea Pumpkins. (laughs) And you know what? It's it's mildew season here as the leaves are falling and it's raining. I had I had it set that it was your signature scent, Um, but I was like, maybe we shouldn't make that canon. We need people to want oh to yeah pumpkins yeah we <laughs> <laughs> my reputation from these intros alone is you know, <laughs> just so we wouldn't want to ruin it yeah I mean, they're they're very positive <laughs> friendly things um but since you're an heiress now yeah. oh i should have said heiress that was very wrong of me because heir you know i think That's is okay. male Eris is female, right? Am you know I what? Right Let's now? go like genderless and just go air for everybody. Deal. But why does the the male version always have to become the default? That's the question. Oh well, we why could can't say we say heiress for everybody. We could. You heard it here first on Cutthroat Queen's podcast. <laughs> default is now heiress. We have the authority <laughs> to make this decision. Um. So Elton told us not to take too long on this intro which we're doing already uh but (laughs) what have you been up to i heard that you took a small trip i did i took a little trip um i got to go to the merrimack valley halloween book festival which is an annual event for horror lovers uh, mostly readers and authors um there's some publishers as well and some podcasters, if you include me. And I think there was at least another one. Um, But it's a free event at the Haverhill Public Library in Massachusetts, which is so cool, because like, how often do you get like, really good, free horror programming? Like it was was just so um, it's set up like a mini con. Um, So there's like tables with authors or artists and their wares. Um, So I came home with a whole new stack of books, as you do. and then there was like anything couple... notable. Oh no, nothing notable. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was no, just I'm... like last time you went, you got you came back like super excited about um oh actually I have it right here. 19 little stab wounds. Oh, that and was from StokerCon. Yeah. So I was wondering account. if there was something that you came back that you were like oh. dumb excited about. No, I'm excited about all of it. Oh, I grabbed a few like anthologies and short story collections from authors I had never met before. So I'm really excited Dude. about those. Um, I met someone named Steve Van Sampson. So I grabbed his collection, A Black Honey. Um, I met a man, Matt Bechtel, and I got his collection, Monochromes and Other Stories. Um, this one I'm really excited about. It's an anthology of all zombie stories, but told from like the African diaspora perspective. Um, so all the authors in that are are Black authors. And that one's called Black and Roots. So I'm really pumped about that. And I got to meet Kat Silva, who is coming on next month. Little little sneak peek. Um, so I got to meet her in person and talk to her about her series of books. And then I also got to meet John Durgan in person. So that was really fun because he, he had come on before. So um, it's just really nice to like put faces to people we've talked to. Um, and they do little sessions too. So I sat in on a couple. One was about like 
um like women villains over history um yeah that was really cool um and then another one I sat in was about kind of like the origins of evil and there was like some really cool like I need to say something you did it again you said women villain instead of villainous oh my god you just keep you're so right programmed (laughs) to hate women Chelsea Pumpkins Brett made me get out of bed to record this, and I have not even finished my cup of coffee yet, so I'm going to blame that. So yeah, villainesses. Um, villainai. Villainessi. I don't know. Anyway, and then there was another one about like the origins of evil, and that was kind of cool because it was like a nature versus nurture discussion, like, and like kind of, you kind of have to have like a moral setting in order for something to be evil. I don't know. It was mm-hmm. cool. Good talks. You do. That's actually kind of crazy. I never thought about that. That like mm-hmm. evil is completely contextual because mm-hmm. it it is just the opposite of whatever your moral base is. I mean, in some cases, I would say that, you know, there are certain things that are less morally skewed that are just outwardly evil. Yeah. Um, well, they were like at one point, because we're horror people, we're talking about like cannibalism and stuff. And I was like, well, if we valued like livestock the same way that we value human life and that would also be evil that we eat them like you know what i mean so i'm like it really is like there is like a and that, societal in some people's minds it is wow. the same you know totally. um but like me you know i have some moral quandaries with eating flesh in general um so it, it does feel evil to me but it doesn't feel evil to you which is completely valid yeah so that's neat Wow. Yeah, it was cool. It was a really fun event. I would like encourage anybody who could make it to go in the future. Um, I'm hoping to get a table next year. They go quickly. So I have to sign up like January 1st um, with um, some other authors to sell some books. I think it sounds wonderful that you were able to go to that. I My goal for next year is to make it to a lot more conventions for writing. I will go to that one. That like that one is is a good option because it would. Did you say it was in Massachusetts or was it in Pennsylvania? It's in Massachusetts, but it's free. Well, yeah, but I, I have a, a remote office for my job in Massachusetts. Sorry, I could go there. Perfect. I'll see you then. Um, <laughs> so what is this episode actually about? It's a. I know what the episode's about. I'm asking on behalf of our, our listeners. Oh, thank you. Um, So this is another one of our, what I've just started calling our speed dating episodes, even though I think all of our conversations went long as we are wont to do. Um, So we have four authors talking about their books. Um, I think we kick off with Brett talking to Andrew F. Sullivan about the Marigold. Um, We have a special surprise. We're putting Elton in the interviewee seat and Christina Pfeiffer is um, interviewing him about his novel. Um, we have another guest host, Tim Bloom, um, interviewing Casey Griffin about Melinda West, Monster Gunslinger. And then I sit down with Candace Nola and talk about, um, she has tons of books out. So <laughs> she has like two, she had two come out in one week. So we just kind of were all over the map with her work. So you can expect some good combos with those four coming up. Yeah, uh, I touched a little bit on the new Nick Cutter and um Andrew F. Sullivan book The Handyman Method with Andrew I haven't actually read that one yet so we didn't go into too much depth but it was a good conversation so good I have that one on my shelf as well 
So that is what will be coming up after this brief commercial break. I am having trouble letting this one go. It's a shame you're to blame, but it's the only thing I know. Hey! Everything is on the Because it got inside my hey! head. I cried a river and I found on the ground. All right, and we are back. I am joined by Andrew Sullivan. Andrew F. Sullivan is the author of The Marigold through ECW Press, a novel about a city eating itself, and The Handyman Method through Gallery Books and Saga Press, a novel co-written with Nick Cutter about home improvement gone wrong. Sullivan is also the author of the novel Waste through Dezank and the short story collection All We Want Is Everything from ARP. Both named Globe and Mail Best Books of the Year, he lives in Hamilton, Ontario. Morning, afternoon, I, I, just afternoon, 12.08. How are you doing today? I'm great, Brett. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for, you know, us taking this time from our special desk lunches to, <laughs> to speak yes. with each other, the lives of modern writers trying to fit it into the day-to-day grind. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's not like the old days when we could have just sat <laughs> You know, we need to bring back rich patrons, man. We need just like really rich dudes who want us to live in a cabin on their property and write books. That's the, you know. Yeah. So I, I should have married for that. I I married for love instead of money, which you know, in retrospect, huge error. (laughs) But um, I am very happy to be able to talk to you. So the the marigold, I finished it fairly recently and then i i admittedly i have not been able to read the handyman method yet i'm very excited to pick it up but i'm gonna ask a little bit about it here just so we can let the viewers know about it because uh we've previously had nick cutter on for a panel discussion so the book that we're here to talk about mostly is going to be the marigold but we will circle back to talking about that first i am interested in the base question for this series why do you write? It's a good question because it's 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 not like uh, uh, what does your desk look like? Like it is this thing <laughs> that really does burrow immediately down into um, why would you do something this self-destructive and stupid? Uh, I think for me, it's really just um, a little bit getting the demons out of me. I think it's a bit of how I can function uh in the world is by making art and the way that works best for me is uh through writing um i think i was doing that since i was a young kid but i'm also not one of these people who's like every since i was born i was a storyteller you know (laughs) fuck that um but i was always you know reading and taking in work and you know when you realize that you can't dance and you can't sing uh you got to find something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, no, I think writing for me really did feel like this, like, sense of expression mm-hmm. um, and a way to see the world as I saw it, which is not necessarily how it is. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think that's the big part of it for me is, like, it is my way to create my work or my imprint on the world with no other influence, really, right? Like, writing is different from being in a band or making a movie. It is just your expression uh, and 
you know, you answer for that too when it's bad. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very solitary endeavor. And, you know, the there's a, two parts to it. There's the actual writing and then there's the decision, which is completely masochistic to <laughs> put your writing out into the world for people to completely <laughs> cut down in some cases or love. Oh. Have you always been a horror buff or was writing kind of your foray into it? I have definitely always been like, I, I didn't realize it. I don't think until I was older, but like I, the other day I read from something I wrote when I was like six and it was a very scary experience is what I called it. Um, about that time, I didn't know I could spell the word experience. Uh, and it was a new Goosebumps story. So I was definitely, <laughs> and I was just killing off all my friends. So that, yeah, um, I got their, their exact names, like Lorenzo fell in a pit. Uh, <laughs> so I think it was there early. And then obviously almost any like North American 12 year old who reads too much is going to run into Stephen King and is going to go through those experiences and I mean, King's so good at just creating a character really quick that you can understand, um, even when you're young. Uh, so I think, yeah, there was those things there. I moved more into broader spaces, but still a lot of genre stuff like crime, sci-fi, lit stuff. I don't, I'm not really worried about genre as much. Like I'm like, for me, it's like, do I like the writing? Do I like the writer? And so I think that's kind of influenced my work a lot. And I think for me, I've ended up in horror because a lot of my work is obsessed with like consequences and reckonings yeah, and absolutely. returns. And I think like that's in all fiction, but like horror lets you really dig into that. Mm -hmm. You know, horror is about aftermath, is about what happens. And I think uh, that's kind of what kept me there and why I felt more comfortable moving into that space. Um, and there's also this really cool Jeff Vandermeer essay. It's old, but he would still stand by it, I think, from like 2007 or 2008, where he talks about the language of defeat, where you have genre people being like, oh, no one respects us. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you don't <laughs> respect yourself, like, what do you like? Like, why do you care? Like, they're yeah. like, so for me, I mean, I, one of my favorite books is called Dirty Snow, and it's this French book about like post, you know, no, like during the war, like occupied France and the, the horrible things people do to each other. Yeah. That to me is a horror novel. Like that, Absolutely. like that's like, like that is, it's a beautiful book. It's a, it's a devastating book. It's also an NYRB classic with a, with an essay in the back that opens with like, this character is an asshole. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, it's just like seeing the multiplicity of like what books can do. That's what excites me. And like, I feel like horror is a place where like every other genre kind of dips its toes. Mm -hmm. um, and there is that just long history of, you know, telling scary stories before bed that, you know, exists beyond anything. So, yeah, I think all those things kind of bring me to horror. And from my youth, I think I just get more comfortable with it the older I get. Yeah, for sure. I recently saw, a, I think it was a tweet. I I want to say it was Reynolds, where she was mm. talking about her merciless waters and how people are complaining that the, the relationship is unhealthy. And and it's, you know, that, that's horror. 
yeah, oh, yeah like, no. I, I get that i've got that with like handyman method recently where people are like well this this villain is very misogynist oh, no <laughs> yeah i mean yep. yeah i i mean like the vampire sucks a lot of blood like like yeah. it's <laughs> like that's the yes that is the character you're right like i think we have had this era recently of you know like I depiction does not equal endorsement. And I think that's mm -hmm. especially true in horror. At the same time, I think you want to you do want to think about what you're putting in a book yeah. and why it's in there and what purpose it's serving. But yeah, like horror is a place to explore those uncomfortable spaces and those uncomfortable feelings. And you can always put the book down. You know? I, I feel that that because a lot of folks get thriller and horror. Oh, mixed up yeah, and, and that totally. that really is like you defined it the separation between thriller and horror is that that horror really is it leans into that discomfort it's not just about thrills it's about exploring and nuance and what causes us that discomfort totally i, I like both. i love thrillers too yeah but yeah no again they're, like they're a different breed you you differentiate and then people are like oh it's it's that tweet that's like Oh man, I really love pancakes. Oh, so you hate waffles? It's yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> settle down. I also enjoy that, but at, in a different way, at a different time. Yeah, totally. I think having those distinctions, being able to talk about those differences, and audiences being honest with themselves. Like, well, you like a thrill. Okay, well, do you like sitting with somebody who you might hate for 300 pages? No, well, that's okay. Like, you don't yeah. have to. <laughs> uh yeah anyway i, I, I recently I, I read i just finished uh ghost eaters by clay mcleod oh yeah um uh, he has a third name i'm just blanking on it sorry chapman but chapman yes yeah, sorry clay mcleod chapman and that one i really hated all the characters yep. i did uh, but yeah. i mean <laughs> that's how it goes you know yeah no no like i think that's, i meant to that's yeah in horror that is sort of yeah, it's like, oh, there was no one likable. And I was like, well, there's... <laughs> good uh, thing they all died then, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, you, what happened to them? <laughs> uh, okay, sorry about that. So uh, oh, we are here to discuss the Marigold, which is uh, actually, why don't you tell me about it? Tell me about the Marigold. Sure. Uh, the Marigold. Like I, my one line for it is that it is about a city sort of eating itself. Like I grew, you know, I grew up, I lived in the, under the Sauron's tower of the CN tower, you know, that I that sees all of the greater Toronto area. Toronto's a city now of about 3 million people Yeah, built on a lake. And so the story of the Marigold is about uh, what happens when that city starts rotting from underneath, when climate change is sort of, eating away at all the buildings and the dead beneath the city uh, begin to sort of become a living thinking sentient mold um, that really just wants to kind of in some ways express community and just wants <laughs> to grow, right? It's sort of a cancer. It just wants to keep growing. It just wants to consume. And so it's kind of a crazy book. Uh, it's horror. It's sci-fi. It's a bit of a noir it's to me a story about all the different forces that want to control a city and treat people uh, like actual people, human beings as a resource, as something yeah. that can be extracted. And whether that's a mold doing that or civic government 
or landlords or, you know, technocrats in my in my book, they're called threshold. Uh, they want to kind of create a smart city. It's about all these different systems vying for control of a city and all of them underestimating the past and underestimating mm -hmm. the dead. Uh, and that's yeah, kind that's of true. what the the wet, um, which is my fungus in the book, uh, is about. Yeah. Um. So the cast is large. I think you already <laughs> touched on that, that there, there are a lot of characters in this book. Was there one, uh, maybe two, that you related to more than the others? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think I really like Soda, who's this sort of, you know, rideshare driver, gig economy guy. Um, something I really wanted to capture in the book with a lot of the characters um, was that sense of desperation, that sense of like really being on the edge of society, that precarity where you're still working, you're still considered like, you know, a functional person in some ways, and yet you're drowning at all times. Um, and I had felt that way for a lot of my 20s. And I see that happening with a lot of young people I know, especially in bigger cities. I see that, you know, in a lot of immigrant communities I know. And so Soda to me felt very real in that way, where he's just a guy scraping by. And then uh, there's another character in there called um, Motown, and he's a retired hockey player. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of, you know, there is no place for him anymore. There was no place for him in the league. Yeah. Uh, his style of hockey had kind of gone out of fashion. Um, his CTE or whatever else he has, his brain damage is really affecting him. And he's susceptible to making bad investments in condos. He's susceptible to the voice in the drains telling him maybe he doesn't deserve to live. He's, he's on that edge. And so I think both those characters to me resonated a lot. And then the, the character of Kathy, who's this public health investigator who gets in way over her head. She's probably my favorite. She was my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Cause she's, there's Absolutely. some people who are like, she's so cold. And I'm like, she's just over it. Like she's yeah. Kathy to me is sort of the heart of the book. Like she, is the person who is trying to figure this out, but also just wants a way out of the city and just wants a way out of her life. Um, so I think Kathy is my favorite, but obviously like, you know, she's a woman, she's lesbian. She's, she's had different experiences than me. When I was writing a big cast of a book though, I knew I couldn't just have it be 36 year old white guys. Like Toronto's yeah. an incredibly diverse city. It's like 48% white, like, mm -hmm. And day to day, you're just interacting with a lot of people. So when I wanted to write a book about a city, I was like, okay, this has to be a lot of characters. This has to kind of give you a, a like, it's about a place failing, not about a person. And so it has this broadcast, which some people really love. And some other people think I gave them Finnegan's Wake and they, <laughs> they don't know what to do with it. Uh, but to me, it was really fun to write and also a way to work in all those stories. So, yeah, those are probably my faves um, from the very wide cast. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So both Soda and Motown, their storylines kind of revolve around the fact that they I don't want to call them discarded, but they are they are people that were victimized by the man, I guess, is what we'll call it. And the, you know, Soda with his 
having to have you know <laughs> big brother eye on yeah. him all the time with his ride share and then and then motown with his bad investment but that speaks to the the wider ranging theme for this one which does seem to be the price of progress which you mentioned you like to write about consequence and i i think that's exactly what this is it is very much consequence driven but it also has an eco horror bend to it um which coincidentally both of the interviews that i got to do with this author special feature were about eco horror bent books <laughs> um so the price of progress clearly is intentional did you know that it was going to go the eco horror direction as well i think i did if only because um to me that is our future like yeah. that is our like i think and I do like eco horror or eco fiction better than like climate fiction or cli-fi like because eco isn't like climate fiction sort of like, oh, the climate's changing and then everything changes. Like eco horror speaks, I think, more to um, that we're only a part of it. Right. I think what's great to me about it is how much we don't know and how like most of what I wrote about fungus or how the wet works is actually how a lot of funguses work just mm -hmm. slightly accelerated like it, it wasn't that far off like people read it and they're like oh that well that's a bit more liquidy or that's a bit more i'm like guys there's horrifying stuff out there you don't even know um, <laughs> i mean the fungus is just literal slime yeah so. like yeah exactly right so so i felt like the more i read the more i horrified i got like non-fiction wise and and then um <laughs> Yeah, it just to me, I was did want to write a near future. I did want to write about sort of the consequences of gentrification and building on like what used to be a lake and kind of what was coming for us. And so to me, the environment is entirely part of that. Um, we are only part of it. And, you know, things do decay, like entropy is real, but also, you know, rot is generative, like things rot so other things can grow. It is cyclical. There's destruction, but there's also growth. And I love that about eco-horror. I love, like, I, I, I don't imagine a nothing. Like, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, this is really nihilistic, or this is really negative, or this is really... Um, and I'm like, well, I had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I see, like, eco-horror as always, can, always has potential in it for growth, for mm -hmm. renewal. But something has to die for that to happen. Yeah, and so... your book takes that very literally <laughs> that something has to die. Um, so the gardener role. Yeah. Uh, did yeah. Was that inspired by any specific like entity being something pre-existing in this world? If it's a spoiler, uh, I understand we can go away from it. No, it's not a spoiler. I mean, it's the first chapter. It's... Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is like I allude to things earlier that are explained later, right? But yeah, if you're paying attention, you probably already know. Like by the, like you're like, oh, okay, I think I know what this is. Yeah, the gardener is you know burying bodies mm -hmm. in the foundations of buildings, um, and he he was that is like an ancient ritual that's practiced been practiced around the world. The idea of putting, you know, a dead body or an animal or a skeleton of something in the foundation to kind of bless it. 
Um, there's examples in Ireland and Hungary and China. Like it's a very much it's existed in a lot of different cultures. So I felt comfortable using something like that. There's also scarier versions that they put a living person in and then they'd pour the foundation. <laughs> and I was like, no, I think that's a lot of coordination. That's a lot of project management. Like a yeah. <laughs> dead body makes more sense. <laughs> but I also liked the idea of the gardener as this guy who is a true believer who yeah. thinks it is real and it isn't like a leftover thing. And who is also sort of at fault for where the wet has come from and is sort of not willing to reckon with like the consequences of what he and his father did for decades. And I also really like the idea of having like the gardener as like, you know, the cobbler or the hat maker or like all these very talented, sincere craftsman positions that don't really exist anymore or you can't make a living from unless you're like the one percent of hat makers you know the one percent of cobblers like yeah. jobs that used to be very every day that people in every town had that don't you don't go to your hat guy anymore you know you don't right i, I know people who like... do go to cobblers but <laughs> but it used to be you know a trade like you were yeah. you you broke down animals you were known for being a meat guy and now it's like, oh, can we get a kid off the street to chop stuff up? And so seeing those kind of trades fade out, it, I was like, let's do... go ahead. <laughs> kind of sad for some folks that, that could have benefited from those trades existing. Oh, it's yeah. an alternative route because like becoming an intern or whatever, I don't remember what they were called back then. Um, a comp, a comp, what is that called? An apprentice? apprentice i can grab the word yeah, yeah, yeah. That, i mean that would have been a neat thing like we could have done something different with life that now you kind of just have to go into debt <laughs> with yeah this yeah like, exactly like and, and we have like the 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 trades obviously like carpentry electricians mm -hmm. whatever else and there's still apprenticeships there and but yeah like a broader you know ways of living and, and making a living that just don't exist anymore or mm -hmm. that just have be tur been turned into not what I would call it, but what the people paying the bills would call unskilled labor. Yes. And so, yeah, so seeing that, I think that's where the gardener came from. Is It's like this dying tradition, this guy who has a very specific way of doing things, a belief system almost everyone else has forgotten or given up on, and he's still out there plugging away yeah, uh, and ruining people's lives in the process, but he doesn't. Fully <laughs> yeah. but i mean he's he's got a means to an end yeah yeah um, yeah. he he does have a vision right it's a bad yeah. vision but i mean at least it's an ethos i guess right the handyman method is it's, yeah. a, it's a great segue from skilled labor to you know your your book with nick cutter uh yeah i think for uh the handyman method it's about basically uh um going down a hole on youtube man <laughs> like what happened? Like, really? Like, it's about, you know how, like, you start a video and then seven videos later, it's like, here's why, like, Warhammer is the best way to fascistly take over America. And you're like, what? I, I asked how to, like, fix my tap. I didn't, I didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you see with kids, too, right? Where they start with, like, oh, I'm going to watch Sonic. And then seven videos later, it's like some weird, like, Sonic Barbie crossover thing that you know, is probably illegal in seven countries. Like I really, um, so it kind of came from there. Um, and just sort of like in a house, like even a new house, like how much is hidden from you. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And the house is kind of an extension of a body. So for us, it's a family moving into a house and then immediately stuff's broken. And Trent, the father, is just like too proud to call and be like, hey, you broke my house. He's going to fix it himself. He's going to be the man. So it's about that sort of, you know, that deep insecurity. People say toxic masculinity, but I feel like a lot of like I feel like that's very 2015 in some ways. Like to me, it is this like deep insecurity in a lot of men and a deep well of like, what if I don't measure up? What if I fail? And then I'm worthless. Um, It's a lot of self-hate and it's a lot of um, demons in there, I think. And that's what this book was about was like, what happens when like you find the Alex Jones of home improvement and he starts putting ideas in your head. Yeah. It it seems like a more modern take on that, that old horror theme where, you know, the man won't ask for directions and (laughs) suddenly we're being chased by a chainsaw. Um, Yeah. And I, and I like the idea too. What I wanted to talk about too, was like the idea of, uh, you know, what happens when a new house is haunted? What happens when a Absolutely. place that's supposed to be a new start is haunted? Because it's never really new, right? It's always built on something old or it's been land stolen from somebody. And, you know, we aren't going to go down the path of like poltergeist or other things, but just the idea that like, like a fresh start is always a lie. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Everything so that has was history. Yeah, so. exactly. The lumber trade itself allows for a lot of trauma to come with. So exactly. uh, So you mentioned that you have that you you might be working together again. So do you have anything in the pipeline, either solo or with Nick? Not like right now. It's been this year has been insane. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I could recommend having two books out in a year, <laughs> um, especially like full blown novels. Yeah. Um, you know, Marigold is an indie book. And so it's been wild to see that it took off the way it did. Like, I'm very grateful. Um, and part of that was having a cutter book, too. But they're so different that. Uh, it's been just a lot of work, so I don't have anything like penciled in i don't have any years or dates but i am working on a couple projects um i thought probably i'd be further along on them but honestly working full-time and then putting out two novels in a year is just like asking for an ass kicking oh for sure (laughs) (laughs) so 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 it's like i there's so many things i want to write right and there's projects i'm like 10,000 20,000 words into but you know it is healthy to have other ideas while you're working on a book mm-hmm. like it's totally important to uh continue generating ideas even if they don't fit the novel you're writing but i think it's a huge like it is so important to finish things and i mean and sometimes you finish things and nobody buys them i have trunk novels i have shit you know I have, you know, I sold two books and then nobody bought the next book. And so (laughs) I was like, fuck you all. And I wrote the Marigold and I was like, I'm going to do everything. I don't care. I want to write a book about a city. Mm -hmm. I want it to be, you know, four different genres. I want to explore all these characters. I want to like just have a big canvas. 
And then that's the one somebody bought. And I was like, okay. Uh, It might be a a cop-out to say this, but it's really obvious when people are are writing for themselves versus (laughs) writing for the sale you know the the goal you you just feel it when an author is passionate about what they're writing about instead of just trying to write the next twilight or harry potter yeah yeah no i i do believe that like both of these books like marigold i was just like i'm gonna go nuts (laughs) like i don't care anymore i just Mm want to write the book i want and then handyman too was also like me like cutter came to me and was like what freaks you out, man? Like, like what you <laughs> like, and it was like, if we didn't have a good idea, we weren't going to write it. Like it was um, like, a, we want to explore what makes us both uncomfortable. We want to explore like the fucked up reality of like, be trying to be a man in 2023. Like, like these are things we actually want to dig into and get messy um, rather than like, Oh wow, this hit all the points and, got me from a to b um yeah books like that exist and they definitely work for some people but i agree with you when you feel that fire mm-hmm. um and it's not always working 100 percent of the time and sometimes you're like wow this guy really has a feet thing uh <laughs> not me but you read a book you're like yeah he needs to get that looked at i think mine's probably like <laughs> teeth and gums I, I actually wrote that in a review once not feet but and it's not a, it's i liked the book a lot oh yeah no this is the thing again we can critique hex. things we like <laughs> hex by Toma, thomas old havalt i think is what his yeah, name yeah, is. yeah yeah the, uh, um, yeah the um there's just so many boobs and tit slashes like this guy loves to write about people getting their titties cut and and so i mentioned it in my review because it was it was a a standout part to me like this guy he's a gay man um so (laughs) it just he just always writes about the the boobs he's just got a fixation yeah i think that's (laughs) yeah like that but that's also where you're like oh man he was just really in it like he just like he was there Great was book, no though. executive in the room being like, all right, we need we need another boob slash on page 74 <laughs> to really that'll hype the reader up and, and push them to the next level. You know, like there wasn't like a Wattpad algorithm being like, OK, readers are expecting every 12 pages. <laughs> well, maybe there was. No, <laughs> maybe he, he designed it himself. He has so, an algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> the, the handyman method, I, I'm. I'm kind of excited to check that one out even more now hearing about, you know, the, your, the way that you explored the masculinity of it, because as a gay man, masculinity is already something that I play a lot with. And I'm interested to see the take on when you have that fear of it, because I don't care if I come off as non-masculine. It's never been a thing because I, I sleep with guys one yeah. i'm married but yeah that's, yeah, yeah. But it's... <laughs> that's already super probably not masculine <laughs> um so i'm excited to check that one out cool yeah yeah i think like it's something i've always been intrigued by too because for me like yeah like i'm like a 6'3 240 pound tattooed dude mm-hmm. who's like who has like kind of silly tattoos I don't know. I, for me, it's it's been interesting. It was interesting to write the book, too, because it was like, yeah, what are these demons? 
and that yeah. they do still affect me in some ways, even though, you know, I, you know, most of my friends probably are queer and the way I live my life yeah. is this artist life is it's like, it's still, when I go to the gym, everybody's like, Oh, that's, you know, yeah, you, straight, man, like you can completely not subscribe to yeah and still the, the status quo and still be impacted by it like oh, me. Totally. if they don't realize i'm gay they'll pick me first to <laughs> carry something up and i'm like hey <laughs> you're like I'm I, gay. I, I i didn't have to carry to not do these things <laughs> yeah yeah so. just the expectations that are out there and that yeah they do still affect me and they are still part of that world even though my day-to-day -day life is very you know non-traditional in some ways no. it's been great talking to you i'm excited to check it out i hope that other people will check out both the marigold and the handyman method okay all righty so where can we find you what are your socials i'm at af sully on most of the social media out there and my website's andrewfsullivan.com uh always make sure the f is in there otherwise you will find a very cranky bad American conservative named Andrew Sullivan. <laughs> All right. So, yep. So you heard it. If you Google Andrew F. Sullivan, you'll get the writer. And if you Google Andrew Sullivan, you'll probably get gay bashed. Um, so next up, we have a surprise. So Elton's book, Life Support, came out earlier this year, and we did not do an episode devoted to it. We had to convince him. He wasn't willing. We got him there. So next up, we have Christina Pfeiffer from Mothers of Mayhem podcast, and she will be interviewing Elton Skelter on Life Support. Yay. Elton has such a good podcast voice over time gone by you know i can't stop feeling like something has died but i am gonna drag you down into this mess in the dirt where it hurts till i make you confess say hey, 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 hey everything is on the because you got inside my hey, head hey, i cried a river that i hey. hi this is christina pfeiffer I review for uncomfortablydark.com and I'm with Elton. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. <laughs> right? I'm the problem, it's me. <laughs> oh, T Swift. T Swift. Bless her. I'm glad she's finally found a man that lasted for longer than three weeks. Right? Thank you, Travis Kelsey. I love football. So, like, I get a little bit of Kelsey and a little bit of T Swift. But while she's out there watching these football games, why is she not writing new music? I need a I need a new album that's not a recreation of an old one. Give it like two more months. And they'll probably be broken up right before the freaking Super Bowl. Oh, he'll be playing terribly. She'll be recording shit. It'll be wonderful. It'll be just like it'll be like good times. <laughs> not like the COVID pandemic when she wrote those two beautiful, heartfelt albums and released them back to back and nearly destroyed everyone. Oh my gosh. Oh, and destroyed the exes too. I think they're I still it. crying. Oh, you can almost hear the faint whisper of Jake Gyllenhaal being like, Red Scarf, Red Scarf, Red Scarf. Right? <laughs> How did we get to talk about Taylor Swift? Oh, yeah. It was me being the problem again. I'm yeah. always the problem. Wow. <laughs> Just circle that right circle back. back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How are we today, Elton, or tonight? It's dark. Yeah. 
it's dark here i'm i'm under fluorescent lights so i look terrible um but yeah i i'm i'm doing good i'm i'm in a i'm in a good place i feel motivated and and i'm glad to have you to be honest we are treated on this episode with with you as a as a guest guest host and the listeners will probably know you from mothers of mayhem podcast and your joyous voice and laughter that that rocks a generation so thank you for coming and and interviewing me (laughs) you know you mean like five people that watch us (laughs) no i've watched you more than five times so and all of my personalities are very distinct (laughs) i'm a i'm a favorite amongst the personalities you are and that's why there could be no one but you to interview me today right i it's such an honor because like we've talked we've chatted back and forth for so long since fuck you mary sue back in the day right was, what was that 2021 20 was it early no it was, 20, it was 22 it was september 22 that came out god really mm. where is this year gone that uh, feels oh like yesterday god. It really does. You know, if anybody knows me, they know that I have zero like inhibitions. I'll just jump into any author's DMs. You know, I can't help it. It's just who I am. That's you know, if you, don't block, <laughs> if you don't block me, here I come. Um, <laughs> and, and that's I, how we met. Yeah. <laughs> it is because of Fuck You, Mary Sue and it being so different and you not going with the trends that everyone else does. Well, I like to think of myself as an original person, but at the end of the day, there there are only so many stories, but there's infinite spins to put on them. And I think the thing that interests me the most about particularly very, very human crimes like massacres, murder sprees, is the the fallout from it, the things that happen afterwards. The actual event itself is probably over in minutes, but right. the things that linger afterwards are the things that people live with afterwards and the things that, that, that are haunting. And to me, that's that's the true horror. That's where the true horror lies. But what you did with <laughs> Fuck You, Mary Sue is you didn't even focus on those who were affected by it, but the ripple in the water. It, yeah, it spanned out into something I hadn't read before. Um, but it was vaguely reminiscent of sort of the 90s horror movie trends, the sort of mm-hmm. you know, what you did last summer mm-hmm. um, kind of vibes to it. Um, and I wanted to tell sort of a story that was a lot more emotionally charged um, and stemming from a place of hurt that could inevitably come back and be devastating f- for the after effects. And so that's why the, the, the core four in my story, core four, steal that from Scream 6, um, the core four in my story um, are so viscerally devastated by it to the extent that it, it ruins them. Yeah. And that was something that I wanted to show because I, I think a lot of people make stupid decisions. They make horrible decisions based on on immediate emotion and, and the outstanding effect of that afterwards and the effect that it can have on your life is something that's really scary we can do stuff Mm -hmm. in a a snap judgment and it will come back to bite us in the ass very badly and if anybody knows what i've been working on as well there is a sequel so yeah yeah i'm excited (laughs) one more well there's going to be two more actually there's going to be a second sequel after this sequel's out so we'll get a full story of how that one big murder (laughs) affected everyone I like that. That sounded very Alabama. Murder. <laughs> yeah. Murder and mayhem. Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking of devastating, 
Let's talk about the one I'll never forgive you for. Can we talk about life support? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. The emotional damage, pure emotional damage. I, 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 I deal in trauma. It's, it's my brand. You really do. You really do. And <laughs> we're like, and we're so dumb as readers. We're like, please, sir, may I have another? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always happy to deal out trauma. <laughs> right? But let's speak a little bit to life support. Okay, it's, I like to call it a psychological horror, but I'm not even sure how it sits within the horror genre. It became <laughs> such a, a creature of its own. Um, when I first pitched it to to Dawn at DNT, um, it was a slasher. It was a support group of people with weird, anomalous, psychological and physical illnesses that were very rare that came together to meet in this university like meeting hall and to support each other and they were going to be picked off one by one by an insidious presence that was basically the gist of what it was supposed to be um and then i found myself writing things out of laziness um i didn't want to write a sex scene and that's sort of where everything sort of changed for it i wrote um where where these two characters were supposed to have sex i instead redacted the sex scene wrote the word redacted and then yeah. afterwards one of the characters lights up a cigarette and I didn't have any reason to do that other than I just didn't want to write that sex scene. Um, I was more excited about writing the other things. So I just left it in there. And um, I remember standing outside one day and just having a cigarette and thinking to myself, what if I kept the redacted scene, the, the redacted sign there? And, and that was there for a reason. What if there's something that happens when he's intimate with people that he can't process? What if that's a, a psychological coping mechanism? Um, and then I just inserted a bunch of like weird religious iconography in it. There's a guy with wings and a sword and a, a man in a gimp suit and <laughs> everything just kind of falls apart. And then it changes genre halfway through um, and typeset and formatting and line spacing. Everything just changes. Um, so you actually understand what, what the book is about. And essentially it's a book about mental illness and how we process our traumas and, and what we do to to make ourselves okay and unfortunately in the case of this character not based on any sort of true story although i do have mental illness myself is um uh he is forced to answer the question of what is better to live in a fake life in his head that he feels like he has people there that, that love and support him or to be mentally healthy in a world that doesn't support him it doesn't love him and so that for me was the biggest question. I remember writing the tagline for the book, sometimes the cure hurts worse than the disease and thinking, there we go. That's what this book is about. And so when I try and explain to people, I never know, but if I tell them that sentence, it kind of spurs me on to be like, I, yeah, that's what this book is about. And it is, and you're right. You can't really pin it down in a specific genre, which is fun, but I can only imagine trying to like pitch it, you know, to yeah. someone. All I ever say is get your Kleenex ready because <laughs> it's, it's hard. Like when you get, when you get there, you get it and you just, you're not prepared. Like I sobbed, I sobbed, I haven't sobbed like that in a long time. And it's because you get attached to the characters, you get attached, you, 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 build this universe and then it's so quick it's so quick that you as a reader can't even catch your breath 
and you already have to not only transition, but you have to come to terms with that. And you have to do it very quickly. I wanted the, the reader to grieve for, for the life that was losing, that he was losing yeah. in, in the events of the story. I wanted them to want the thing that you're not supposed to want for him. I wanted yes. them to want him to go back. And so the the, the back end of the book is, is him trying to figure out a way to be more mentally ill so he could be happy. Yes. And, and, and I deal with mental illness as well. It's almost, you see yourself that, you know, you, you can build this idea in your head about something completely different and something so, like, I, I get it, you know? I get it. And yeah. I think... I think especially for those with mental illness, and that's not saying that neurotypical people are not going to you know, appreciate or understand the story, but I think mental illness and those with mental health issues will be able to take it more to heart. Like yeah. we're being seen kind of thing, if yeah. that makes sense. I think, I think from the, the sort of the reviews that I've had so far, a lot of them have been from people who have suffered from mental health illnesses themselves <laughs> and it's been welcomed and it's not a realistic um, representation of, of, no. of a particular mental illness. It's a no. very dramatized version of all mental right. illness. Um, it's not supposed to be realistic and it's not supposed to be, right. but so frequently the only narrative that there is in stories, particularly horror is mentally ill person, goes off the deep end and kills people. And I didn't want that right. to be this story. I wanted right. it to be from the other end of the story. It's still horrific and it's still terrifying, but it's still, um, it, it paints a better picture of what the majority of people who suffer with mental illness actually go through, which is right. fear and and longing for something better. And, and that's right. kind of what it speaks to. But it's interesting because he doesn't per se want reality. He wants his made-up reality yeah and we find ourselves almost sometimes the opposite of that where we want you know our real lives to be different you yeah. know what can we do to make them different yeah i think because of his, his situation and and you know without giving too much away and stuff there's the situation that he finds himself in when he's lucid and when he's mm -hmm. aware is not anything that's going to change and it's not anything right. that he can change physically, but he knows that mentally, if he strips away all the help that he's getting to try and become mentally healthy, that he can be the person that he wants to be by becoming right. more mentally damaged. And uh, even though his psyche is fighting against it by creating right. uh, an antagonist within his uh within his his narrative it's uh yeah it's a difficult uh a difficult battle for him and i thought it was just a really interesting take on on that particular situation that battle and we hadn't seen something like that sort of be tackled in a long time if no if ever in that respect i mean there's, there's ele elements of cuckoo's nest in it um yeah. but aside from that i think and you know girl interrupted um but aside from that it's it's sort of a, a quite a new narrative and i wanted to be sort of the person to tell that story and I remember the the second that I realized what that story was going to be I cried as well so I, I didn't you can't you can't see me but I'm glaring it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it it you know it was an exhausting book to write it was it was mentally devastating yeah. to write and I love those characters as much as, as the readers love them as well so to do what I did to them was was heartbreaking that's 
what's interesting is because, you know, we as readers, you know, we we're in this universe for a few hours, you know, while we're reading the book, but you as a writer are in this universe for weeks and months or years and, you know, having to do what you do to the characters. I could see it like, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure, um, probably the last half I was very like I was you know DMing him immediate responses and they were you know there was a lot of cussing involved (laughs) (laughs) there really was she's got a mouth like a sailor I couldn't couldn't help it he pissed me off (laughs) but what is most interesting is the way that how it comes together it's not a satisfying ending you know in the respect that a happy ending you know what I mean but you don't feel like you got gypped out of the the ending of it, of his yeah. story. You know what I mean? It still has if that I'm emotional sure. payoff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and I wanted it to, I wanted it to have, I, I'm a sucker for a, a cliffhanger and sequels. I love writing mm-hmm. just continuing stories because I, 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 like you say, get really emotionally attached to the characters that I write. I want them to have more story. But right. this one, I saw an ending that was the only ending for this mm-hmm. character um and and for the, for this this reality that he'd built for himself and there there was only one way out for that character and it was the only and this book took me nearly a year to write on and off because i had to keep taking long mental health breaks yeah. from it because it's devastating but um it is to come to that conclusion to come to that ending was really the only way that it, it could have ended for him and i think making that tough decision not to be able to bring it back is the best choice I made for that book. Oh, without a doubt. Because it's so hard not to give everything away. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just the smallest thing can give it away. Um, I've probably said too much already. (laughs) Probably me too. Um, But the beginning starts out and you're like, this is fascinating. We're going to learn all about these people and we're going to learn how awesome their lives are, you know, and, that's that's not what happens. Oh. No, no. no. no inst- you are a life ruiner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly ruined the uh, the cast of this little book. I think it'll make a good film, actually. To be honest, I don't know how they'd ever present it. So let's get into some fun questions. Who is your dream co-author? Ooh, that's a question. Now, I I know quite a lot of authors in the same sort of boat as me the same mm-hmm. um at the same stage in their careers and and i respect the hell out of a lot of authors like that and so it's probably going to be somebody who i know quite well um mm-hmm. tj price is um very inspirational like um mm-hmm. as a, a another gay man as well um and as a, a similarly dark creative author mm-hmm. i think we, we would probably have a, a real good time but i just i just don't know if he could handle me i'm a bit of a nutcase and he he's a <laughs> bit more well adjusted than i am um i love andrew sullivan's writing i think he's mm-hmm. wonderful he just had um oh he's in this episode actually as well uh his book the marigold was fantastic i just love his, his narrative voice is crazy good um but then you've you've kind of got like I always see myself in that like juxtaposed thing where I'm like sort of halfway between standard horror and extreme. Like there are extreme mm-hmm. elements to my writing. And I think right. I would love to experiment with fully extreme horror. So then obviously you've got the master, Ryan Harding. Um, oh, I've never heard of him. 
Never heard of him? No, no, no. I've never heard of him. You're not obsessed with him at all? No. No, I don't have a tattoo of him <laughs> or anything. No, not all of that is true, by the way. Um, it is, it is. Yeah. I'm a stan. <laughs> we all are. We love Ryan. Um, right. So, yeah, and I think um, just because of the way he can take any story, whether mm-hmm. it's disgusting or quite mundane, and he can tell it, just tell the shit out of it. He's just an incredibly good storyteller. Um, I think that would be something that I would aspire to just for the learning experience, to be honest, to right. learn from such a master. So, yeah, dream co-authors. That was me. Well, I I will have to pick him up, pick up a book of his because, you know. Yeah, you need to know about this this very, very talented author who may or may not be coming on to the podcast soon for a, a special appearance. Let's see. Um, ooh, if you weren't writing in the standard horror or the extreme horror genre what genre would you like to write in now there is the question see i always have like a little bit of a a, a yend to write fantasy not like sorts Ooh. of horses but like modern fantasy i started i was i was meant to have a release and I, I spoke about this on a podcast appearance i did a couple of months ago i was meant to have a release for october um that was about which is um male gay witches but i i fed too much fantasy into it and it became this this story that was just bigger than me and i I didn't want to write it i wanted to write something intimate and ultimately quite dark and quite horrific um but i do love fantasy elements and i I think i would i quite like to dabble with that if i can just keep myself on a, a tighter leash because ultimately i like to talk about and read about mental illness and that's kind of where i i live so I think any genre, as long as I get to talk about the things that I'm, it's weird to say passionate about, but yeah, passionate about, I'm very passionate about mental illness. But we don't see it, like you said before, we see it in this kind of, oh, they go on a killing spree, you know, and, you know, a lot of us are just, you know, we're medicated, <laughs> we're yeah. not going on sprees, you know. <laughs> As much as we want to, sometimes oh we just we just don't have that that opening for it. Right. Look, I am so busy, and my children are just now they could go on a killing spree, especially the little <laughs> one. I don't trust her at all. She gets nothing sharp, um, up to and including scissors. Uh, but we don't see mental health from the actual perspective a lot. No. We don't see the mundane. We don't see the, the breakdowns. We don't see the manic. We don't see the depressive. We see, you know, the crazy with the machete. You yeah. know? And that's always kind of the default when it's come to the psycho killer. Um, but there's not, it's, it's not always like that. And there's, there's a subtlety to it. There's a, a, a sort of a way of telling a story that doesn't involve it being so in your face and so dramatic and i think that's that's what i'm striving for because all my stories are going to feature mental illness in a way because it's been such a huge shaping factor for my life i've been mentally ill since i was about 13 and i've been dealing with that every day and and you know medicated and and cognitive behavioral therapy and and talk therapy and stuff i it's such a part of me but i don't want it to seem like the only stories you can tell are those negative ones Right. Saying that, though, <laughs> my next book, released on February 14th, Valentine's Day, is a horror romance. Well, yay! some people 
told me it wasn't a romance once but we're uh, we're going to ignore those people because it is it's an ultimately love story and it's what i'm choosing to describe as american psycho meets romeo and juliet um yes yeah so there's a bit of sexy yeah. in there but mainly it's just two very damaged individuals finding each other through the worst possible circumstances and trying to live their lives um by accepting their differences and their flaws even though their flaws are really fucking flawed so so but they're not going to be they're not going to be underage and they're not going to no. like kill themselves after three days right no 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 no, no there's no 14 year olds there's no three-day suicide that oh, takes thank much God. longer in this story oh good just, <laughs> you know, i can handle four days but three days is just like know, so unrealistic i know what was shakespeare thinking is that like do you reckon that was common at the time like back in elizabethan england everyone was just like well to be honest i think i'm just gonna have a relationship with this 12 year old and then we'll just kill ourselves yeah i mean once you've done it then it's over with you know yeah, like right? what are we gonna do like <laughs> copycat Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Boring. So, boring. So yeah, I, I found myself rewriting Shakespeare for uh for this story in the most grotesque way. Um Amazing. yeah, it's coming out from Lethe Press um on February 14th. Like I said, Valentine's Day. So we're gonna celebrate Love Day with some horrific bad relationships. And really? uh, yeah. I mean, how nice. many of us have not had bad relationships? Oh, I have had exclusively bad relationships. I mean, I, I would have to borrow your fingers and toes <laughs> for mine. So this is right up my alley. <laughs> I will be sending it to you as soon as I get the arc back, probably yeah. next week. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, then I'll just go into more panic mode. <laughs> yeah, there's no pressure to read. It doesn't come out till February. So I'll just give it to you right? because I know you should have it. You, you do know that I have stuff from 2021, right? Like... That's because you are a hot commodity in the community. Everybody <laughs> loves you, and they need to know your experience. To be fair, getting a Christina Pfeiffer review that is is positive and and glowing is part of what makes writers happy, particularly from somebody who is so well read and so well rounded and knowledgeable. Um, having a review from you is like Christmas Day when when it comes through. It is honestly. Aww. Thank you. <laughs> Which is funny because not everybody thinks that. Well, anybody else can fuck off then. <laughs> not, not everyone. Not everyone gets glowing reviews from me. <laughs> but I, you know, I do appreciate that because you know, a lot of times I feel like I scream into the void. You know, <laughs> I, I I constantly yell and you know I'm always recommending and stuff and it, it's review reviewing is much like writing in that way where you you need an audience you need someone yeah. to hear you scream and i think it's a reviewer and and a writer coming together and being being besties like we are is is pretty much a marriage made in heaven really like yeah. um i get so many good book recommendations from you you've put me on to some <laughs> of the authors that that i'm obsessed with right now hi ryan right <laughs> I, I, I added another one to the cult of Ryan Harding, uh, Warren Iverson, uh, because I'm, I just I like I bully people into reading him. You well, know? you should do because he's fantastic, and um, and she just recently bullied me into recently like an hour ago bullied me into reading Mike Ennenbach's new book um, Cuckoo, yes. which I will yes. be picking up as soon as we we, we dial off here today. So uh, yeah. And there's yes. there's more. There's going to be Philip Presti. He's coming. He's going to be my next recommendation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's she gives me homework. <laughs> it's uh, it's <laughs> troublesome. 
<laughs> and I do quizzes. Don't quiz me. Sometimes yeah. I just you really know, can't pay attention. <laughs> you know what? I Because I go through, sometimes I can go through 30, 40 books a month. And I mean, it's literally in one ear, I'll be with some of the books. And it's not because I don't enjoy them. It's just, you know, if there's the not like a baby. Yeah, yeah, if it's not a stuff film or like baby in a blender or, you know, emotional damage. Baby in, a, baby in a blender is big right now baby in a blender is, really, is like really is. the the new you know? the new trope that everyone everyone wants to write about i'm can, i'm actually thinking about writing a book called baby in a food processor so oh i love british. it i'm, I'm british it. so i have to yeah have to, so you know, you know put that british spit you know who and this was probably done before but the one that i always think about is ash eric Moore. yeah when he did um bob sausage the first one it's mm -hmm. called like um coffee shop for cunts or something like that <laughs> it but it's got coffee shop and cunt in it because those like i drink a ton of coffee and i'm a cunt so like i remember <laughs> those words very easily uh, but i remember him doing it and that's always what i've referenced when i say that i read snuff films and babies and blenders is i'm talking about ash eric moore who is probably one of the most prolific authors in the genre at the moment. Like he's so awesome. And nobody knows what he looks like. Nope. Skeleton man. Uh, I would say I promise not to mentally damage you anymore, but I've got five projects that I plan to write in the next like year and a bit. And they're all going to be emotionally and mentally draining for you. So I apologize. Oh, don't worry. I have bought stock in Kleenex. So we are good to go. We are. <laughs> So what else do you have coming up? I like I said, I've got I've got life I've got next of kin, um, February from Lethe Press. I'm currently working on um another post slasher horror feature. I'm not gonna give the title out because it might make people Google it and then they might give it too much away. But that's the intention of that one to have a giveaway title. Um and I'm hoping to have that ready by December. Um so I'm going to be using NaNoWriMo to try and get that one completed. And um, I've got another couple of pieces just in my back pocket waiting to be written. But yeah, the next year I'm going to try and have five full-length pieces ready to go, whether that's self-published or whether I do it through a publisher. That's huge. It's big. Hopefully. I figure if I just you know, throw enough stuff out there, someone's going to grab hold eventually, and then I'll, I'll find right. my people. Well, you found one. I definitely done, I definitely found you. We found each other. We did. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I hopped into your DMs and, you know, made myself known. I always feel like, I always feel bad, like, jumping into people's DMs who don't know me because I'm the most unprofessional person on the <laughs> face of the planet. Um. <clears throat> Like sometimes even I'm like, I should not have sent that. Like, because I ask, um, I asked Brath James White if he would want to be in a buddy read with us with his book. And we ended up doing like six months with Rath James White in a buddy read with us. But I'm pretty sure it was just like, hi, I'm Christina. I do buddy reads and we're going to read one of your books. Do you want to be in it with us? Like, want to be my friend? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he joined. <laughs> he was probably like, this woman is absolutely <laughs> crazy. Or I'll just be like, 
hi, I'm Christina and I read your book and it was really, really good. It pissed me off and made me sad. And I, I, I don't like you, but I love you. And you know, this <laughs> Let's is great. Be best friends. <laughs> yeah. We're besties forever now. <laughs> and then, you know, no one blocks me and I feel that's on them. That is uh, an accomplishment in itself, to be fair. And if you didn't do that, then we would never have met because I'm the opposite. I can't ask anyone for anything. I am terrible at asking for things. And I, I just I just want people to be happy, which doesn't happen when they read oh, my book. So I have no reason to talk to anyone. Oh, I don't. I want people to be miserable so then I can like Save them. in their misery. <laughs> oh, just rejoice yeah, in, that's their, what, in their terror. That's what keeps me looking so young. You know? <laughs> Feeding off and people's I, misery. <laughs> 85 <laughs> people's misery just brings me so much joy <laughs> as it should misery is for everyone is there anything else you can tell us um no no i'm done no. yeah. <laughs> um yeah i yeah i think i think that might actually be it to be honest i don't think i've got anything else interesting to say well, i'm not very good on this side of the table it's it's okay. You know what? I'm not very good on this side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people keep asking me, and I'm like, okay, okay. Well, you can always come back. You know that we love you on the Cutthroat Queens. So, well, and... I will be back. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for interviewing me. It's been absolutely surreal, to be honest. Like getting interviewed by the best reviewer about Aww. my favorite book. So yeah, my thank favorite you. books, even though they they hurt my soul. Well, I'm gonna try and one up that on the next one <laughs> oh great <laughs> prepare for no soul and that's us signing off that's that's us done we did it yay you don't know how far I go to take back all of the words you spoke hey! I can't breathe without release so I am never gonna rest in peace hey We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast listening experience. Uh, my name is Tim Bloom. Uh, we have taken over the radio waves. We have hacked the mainframe. Uh, I will be uh, doing an interview, um, just a sort of brief thing in the middle of the podcast. Um, but I will not be doing it alone. Uh, I have an accomplice with me. Uh, with me, I have uh, Casey uh, Griffin, um, who writes internationally published horror, fantasy, science fiction, and weird West stories. Dozens of her short stories have appeared in podcasts, magazines, and Stoker-nominated anthologies. Her debut weird Western novel, Melinda West Gunslinger, published by Brigitte's Gate Press in February 2023, described as a blend of Bonnie and Clyde meet the Witcher and Supernatural, which I couldn't agree with more. It's fantastic. Uh, have received, has received positive reviews internationally. She is the co-chair and founder of the San Diego Horror Writers Association and member of numerous writing organizations, including the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association. And you can learn more about her and what she's working on at www.caseygriffin.com. Welcome, uh, Casey, to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for commandeering it with me. I'm very excited. Um, I really... I really uh, I love Melinda West a lot. I just had a lot of fun um, reading it. It was just fantastic. But um, before um, we sort of get into talking about Melinda West itself, um, I'd just like to ask you some general questions about uh, writing and, you know, your process and that sort of thing. Uh, so the sort of the major question, I guess, first of all, I'd like to ask, um, why do you write, Casey? 
Yeah, you know, that's a tough question. You sent it earlier and I was thinking <laughs> about it and it's such a hard thing to answer, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think for a lot of writers, it's like you have to write, right? You feel better about things, about life. You just feel okay when you write and right. you don't feel great when you don't write. It's right. the simplest answer. Um, so, but my writing life, I guess, has had a funny kind of roller coaster where I was writing stories pretty much as young as I could, you know, what whatever age that is when you can start writing, maybe seven or eight, just writing fantastical stories, yeah. um, wrote throughout middle school, high school, just loved anything supernatural or sci-fi, um, basically stories that take you out of our everyday reality. Mm -hmm. My jam. So I guess that sense of kind of wonder and excitement is part of why I write to evoke that, to live it, to experience it. Um, but then I had this sort of funny writer's block for about five years when I was in college and trying to figure out my life. I just, my mind was so chaotic. It was really right. hard to sit down and write. And um, once I kind of settled on a career path I liked and got my life in order a bit, I was able to return to writing kind of with this fresh um, perspective and get a little more serious about writing. So how did you really sort of find your way or sort of get started in the genre as opposed to sort of speculative fiction in general? Um, was it just something you always just sort of loved or what really drew you to writing in that uh, genre and those different subgenres? Yeah, I so I always wrote in kind of the sci-fi horror-ish realm. Like I started, um, you know, middle school, I was writing X-Files fan fiction. Oh, nice. I wrote a lot of Frankenstein fan fiction, actually. Um, X-Men, kind of anything that was, um, that really captured my attention. And, you know, I read R.L. Stein and kind of all of those, like the, I would say more kind of fun adventure horror. Mm -hmm. the disturbing horror was um a little too much for my anxious mind but the kind of adventure right like like right. strange things you have this epic evil or monster and you have to fight it and it, it imparts a sense of adventure that has always been my main interest but funny enough as a author I had not really found my identity until I moved to San Diego and actually co-started the chapter of the horror writers association here and I had never thought of myself as a horror writer actually mm -hmm. before that. I was always more, oh, sci-fi fantasy. Um, but once I connected with horror writers, I kind of really found a lot of great um, camaraderie. And I felt like I found myself as a writer to some degree. I would say usually I think of myself as horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. Mm -hmm. and I usually put the horror first because most of my writings tend to be a little on the darker side, more nihilistic, a little more monster based, um, even with the fantasy aspect, even with the sci like sci-fi horror is my favorite intersection. Um, but horror is such a, you know, large genre. There's so much within it that I, I think people outside of the genre don't realize it, right? There's quiet horror and cozy horror and just all of these variations within it that I think maybe there's other writers out there too who are horror writers but don't realize it.
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wow! It's really interesting. Um, but I suppose I shouldn't because I could. I think I could talk to you about the idea of sort of dreaming for two hours, but I don't have that. I don't have that time. I only have so much control of the way uh, the radio waves, and so they're gonna kick us off soon. Um, but I wanted to talk about Melinda West, which is your first novel, as you've said, and um, also um, really something that. I believe you've actually kind of been working towards actually. So, cause you have stories featuring um, these characters that have been published, you know, quite a few years ago, right? That's right. Yeah. So um, it actually started when I began playing this card game called Doomtown, which um, it, it features like this weird West world kind of based on Deadlands. And oh, is it actual Deadlands uh, IP or is it something different? I believe different? it is. Yeah. It has like the ghost rock and kind of all of those things. That's awesome. It was super fun. But what really caught my attention was the number of female characters that were doing interesting things. Right. So some of the cards were um, women lawmakers or, you know, sheriffs and just kind of this portrayal of a Western world I hadn't really seen before. And it sort of captured my imagination. I ended up writing some of the official stories for those cards. Really? Um, yeah. So that That's was really cool. the first step into the Weird West writing. Uh, so that was fun. But then I kind of wanted to create my own characters and my own world. So I created this couple, um, Melinda and Lance, mm-hmm. and the inspiration for that was almost like a gender swap a bit. So Melinda was the stoic kind of cowboy figure that is really iconic in some of the Western tales, right? But um, she's a complex character, but you know she doesn't talk a lot. She, she's not really great in social situations, whereas Lance is the foil. He's super charming, easygoing. Um, so they're they're this couple and they fight monsters in the old west where monsters have kind of overtaken the land and these different towns need help so with that premise I was able to do kind of these one-off short stories you know featuring different monsters Um, so those were pretty well received published in magazines like Andromeda Spaceways um, and also some anthologies Weird West anthologies And because they were pretty well received, I thought, well, maybe I should try to put these characters on a bigger adventure. Um, And I had some ideas for that. So that's that's sort of how it came to be. And the other thing that was fun for me as a writer was to, you know, explore some of these tropes used in Western stories, because the Old West is such an iconic time. Right. And it has all this symbolism it has all this bloodshed. It's it's just a very fascinating period that has been kind of told a certain way for a really long time. Right. Um, so for me, because, you know, this is a made up fantasy world, I thought to myself, let me make like women way more dominant, right? So like 50% right. women in the roles. So you go to a town and it might be a female sheriff and it's not a big deal right it's just right the way, yeah the way of the world so to speak um and part of that was also inspiration from real life historic stories of women doing things in the old west that we maybe haven't heard about right so a lot of people have heard of like annie oakley but mm-hmm. there's so many more stories of women um you know being lawmakers or outlaws or whatever that is not really told as much in popular culture So I drew on that for inspiration as well. Um, So that was sort of a fun mental exercise too, right? Right, Yeah. Just reverse some of these really common tropes 
um, and scenes, right? You always have the scene like, oh, going into the brothel and the prostitute with the heart of gold and like, oh, I just <laughs> I have that one time in a in an old West story. Yeah. And I think that's that's awesome because like you feature sort of characters like that, because like Mona's sort of like you said stoic and sort of quiet. And then like you sort of introduce that as like that dynamic very quickly because you know uh, they're uh, looking at these um these like flying like scorpion monsters right when the book um when the book starts and um you know lance you know he pulls out uh this uh, i think it's called the um the mall gun or there he pulls out the gun he's like here let me have this over to melinda because i don't know how to use this thing <laughs> and i think that's just sort of really cool um but sort of talking about that and the um the world itself um can you tell us what the book melinda west gunslinger the novel itself is about yeah yeah so it it's, um, I call it an action adventure kind of horror adult novel. It takes place in this alternate history during the Old West where um, monsters poured into the region, right? So kind of interrupting history as we know it and forcing humans to band together uh, in a sense against these monsters. Um, so then there's this gunslinging couple in their 20s, uh, sort of Bonnie and Clyde-like, that's Melinda and Lance, and they track down monsters Um they're hoping to retire, but instead they accidentally release a demon in the book. Uh, this demon steals souls and they're in over their heads. So they have to battle this menagerie of monsters and hunt a notorious outlaw to save their friends and stop essentially a supernatural war. When you go into it sort of writing it and you have characters you've written before, uh, like Lance and Melinda are not new. Are you thinking of the sort of world and continuity when you're sort of plotting out a novel like this? Yes, for sure. And I think a lot of it um, kind of ends up as notes almost, right, that uh, aren't necessarily in this novel, but are saved for either side stories, uh, as I did with Candelaria, um, or future novels, right? So I have, I did create kind of this history and, um the backstories for the characters, right? But I really wanted to make sure the action was at the forefront and the plot kept on moving. So for this particular book and style of writing, I didn't want to deviate too much into like backstories and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it's funny because in an earlier draft, um, I got some feedback that it was too fast paced. Like, oh, really? Like they need a minute to breathe. They need to rest. I feel tired for Melinda. She needs to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go back and put in some of those moments, um, which are actually really good to have, right? Moments right. of introspection, of discussion, uh, where you see some of that character building ha happening. But I just sort of, I, I love it. And just sort of like, because it's, it's grounded uh, in a way in our own history, which, as you said, is iconic, but also pretty gruesome. Oh. But it's also sort of like, a parallel type thing right as far as the universe is concerned is that is that right yeah. or how does that yeah that's exactly right could you sort of explain how it is different from the world that we live in this sort of great sort of western adventure story yeah yeah that's a great question because that was something i thought a lot about and i really did want it to be a parallel world so in the book, you'll notice there's no states or cities or kind of any recognizable location. That said, it is kind of overlaid in my head over like the Southwest, you know, U.S. Yeah, so yeah. Using kind of the mountain ranges and the terrain. 
Um, but in, you know, the backstory kind of off pages is that these monsters that came out sort of interrupted colonization as we know it, uh, and then created this whole new history where we don't really have, you know, the civil war and kind of all these things that are pretty common in, you know, Westerns, obviously, and also weird Westerns. But this I consider completely parallel, right? So there's no kind of U.S. history per se. So like, so, so like New World period, these monsters are able, or sort of earlier period or whatever, or not even New World period, but that sort of colonizational period when we were sort of, you know, uh, coming in and sort of moving through the country. Right. I won't say we, I, I you know, but, but <laughs> um, so the monsters actually came into to that reality and actually shifted and changed things quite dramatically. Uh, so these are characters in a world that has been living with these creatures for some time. Right. right? Yes, that's right. Um, and you can think of like the world, right? This is a world that has monsters and maybe in some regions, the monsters are more prevalent. Um, so it's interesting too, because thinking about history and indigenous groups, right? I, I, it's such a tricky thing as a writer. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tell stories that aren't mine, but I also don't want to like ignore or erase a group of people. So yeah. I've been thinking about that quite a bit. And um, for the next book, I'm actually drawing on inspirations from local indigenous groups and histories in California, you know, but not again, not like naming names, so to speak, because it is a different world right. and a different reality. So it's kind of finding that balance of how do I respectfully kind of share you know, these stories and these groups, but but not tell a story that's not mine to tell. Right. And I found, and that was one of the things I really wanted to talk about as a point out sort of that I've ever seen a book and we discuss. And I thought that is sort of handled really well. Um, and you do that sort of these really dynamic and interesting characters, but it's mixed in with all the sort of different stuff dealing with genre, which I wanted to sort of talk about. Sort of what makes a Western like a weird Western? Yes. So uh, everybody defines it a little differently. Um, generally, a Western becomes a weird Western if it uses some pieces of other genres, namely horror, sci-fi, or fantasy. Um, I consider a weird Western anything that has some fantastical element to it, right? So you have ghosts or werewolves, zombies. Um, some people would also add in any horror Western into that, even if it's not fantastical. Yeah, so that's, that's, yeah that's kind of where the definition, you know, it, it really depends who you talk to. Um, but generally a weird Western will have some elements of horror, sci-fi and or fantasy. <clears throat> it's horror, but it's not like disturbing necessarily, right? It's more high stakes, you know, fun moments, but they have very serious missions. They're saving the world. They're fighting monsters. Uh, so that's kind of the level I try to get at where monsters are really front and center. Um, and it's, I love like mixing and matching parts of biology yeah. to kind of make new monsters in that like Frankenstein way. So to me, that's always front and center. And then also, you know, give me a mission that is really epic. So I'm, I'm involved. I'm excited. And I think that's really cool because you say something I wanted to sort of get back to because you said that you really never saw yourself as a horror writer in the beginning, mm -hmm. but that the actual horror community itself, I don't know if the right word has sort of embraced you, but you said you felt very comfortable um, in the sort of the space and sort of it sort of led you to sort of really seeing yourself as a horror writer first and foremost. Um, and so like, is the community aspect a really big deal for you? 
Yeah, for sure. There's kind of this running joke that horror writers are some of the nicest writers you'll ever meet um, for whatever reason, right? Maybe because we <laughs> get out all of our issues. On the right, page. right, right, right. Um, it's very true, uh, you know, generally that I found and the Horror Writers Association, I think has been a really great organization. Yeah, I've met mentors through there, friends, colleagues, um, so yeah, I, when I connected with the organization, I really found a lot of writing buddies and support and I had been sort of in the sci-fi and fantasy worlds. And, um, I think my stuff was maybe just a little too dark, so it mm. had a hard time clicking a bit. So again, because horror has that very wide range, right? Horror can be comedy. It can be graphic. It can be so many things. Um, I was able to really connect with a lot of writers. And so there must be quite a bit of interest there. And so you think it's sort of like a growing and exciting field, huh? I hope so. Um, I mean, you never know for sure, right? But mm -hmm. horror seems to have been having a moment for a while. It seems like especially, you know, interesting horror, not just the slashers, which are fine and great, but mm -hmm. more diverse horror has seems to be having a moment and then these subgenres too. Um, so yeah, I'm hopeful weird westerns are, you know, continue to garner interest. It's funny because a lot of readers I talk with, they have never read a weird western before, right. so they're kind of diving into it for the first time. Um, and I think there's a lot to offer. You know, it helps us maybe rethink history a little bit, um, and it can also just be you know fun, pure escapism. Yeah, of course. Uh, it can be very horrific, right? There's a lot of horror Westerns that really dive, uh, kind of dive deeply into that gruesome element that mm -hmm. uh, we can't overlook. The Old West was a period of extreme bloodshed. So that's conveyed too. There's just so many facets to the Weird West genre. I think there's a lot to explore there as a writer and a reader. So, you know, even if kind of my specific blend of like horror fantasy western maybe isn't right for somebody there's so much more out there you know um and i think it's worth exploring it's worth kind of re-seeing that old west period in a new light just because it's such a important part of our history and history is always kind of reforming right depending on <laughs> who's telling it um but then weird west also adds this layer of you know the supernatural or whatnot that that can make it very interesting to read and write about and do you have a fascination with history in general is that sort of where this comes comes from or just i mean somewhat yes mm -hmm. i would not say i'm a big history buff i definitely became more interested in the period you know once it captured my attention especially these kind of undertold stories right like um i don't i don't even know they're so they're so right. many told stories you know of women and you know, people from asia and you know cowboys they weren't all like white straight men right so uh, there's so many interesting stories that haven't really risen to the popular consciousness mm -hmm. right so weird west is just sort of one avenue to help get it out there i'm sort of very uh happy and sort of excited and congratulations again by the way for this being your you know your first novel and by it by all accounts it being sort of quite successful and just a hell of a book really <laughs> um but i there's more melinda still to come right or that world itself so could you talk a bit about what you're planning to do i, I don't know i just I think I sort of could, like extended universes and connected stuff. I can eat that stuff up all day. <laughs> and it seems like, you know, you're really into that too. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so it's funny because I think it changes a little bit every time I talk about it. But right now I have plans for, I have two more books in mind. And the way I wrote this first one, I did not want it to be a trilogy, right? So kind of standalone, complete, but have some little threads that could be explored later on. Which um, I think worked out perfectly, by the way. Okay. Sort of like you can, yeah, because you can, because I think, yeah, I, I think it's important. It just works out. It's its own confined story within a much larger world that we will get a piece of as we, you know, read other shorts or other novels or novellas or what have you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I wrote it in a way where I can write as many additional books as I want, but I don't need, you know, to complete a trilogy or an arc. So right now I have in mind two more. One is a little, it's kind of based around the um, the monsters, actually. So this one oh. is insect based monsters, right? The next one's going to be very kind of mammal based uh, and desert ah. probably yeah and the third one more kind of water based marine based maybe some pirates real really that's awesome so like will we have like like submarines and stuff or just i mean i mean i'm pushing for it but like so is it is it within like the western vibe or is it within that field or like so yeah, yeah. <laughs> right so kind of more like and part of it, it comes back to that interest in history. So what kind of pirates were around during the Old West period, right? And yeah. how can those mash up? Um, but the second one is, you know, the draft is is pretty much done. Um, so hopefully I will have some news to share that, around that in the coming months, maybe. That's and cool. I'm also hoping to pull together a collection of the short stories, like just so they're all in one place. Um, one project I would love to do sometime in the future is um, Monster Almanac, which ah. I, I need to like track all of the creatures, right? So it'd be really cool to get an artist to like just. I can see the artwork already. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, and you like you said you have this experience like writing sort of the background for like the cards and that sort of Deadlands card game mm -hmm. and stuff like yep. like like I can see it like I I want you know like a holographic I don't know Lizzie toyed or whatever <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, thank you, but I uh, just you know round it out. Um, what do you have? Uh, anything coming up uh, soon? Uh, the latest stuff that you want to talk about? Yeah, I have some short stories that are kind of pending. So probably the next thing I believe is uh, Tales to Terrify story. So that's a horror podcast. Um, and I don't have the date yet, but it sounds like it'll be soon. And I'll share that on my social when it's out. And that's like a gothic kind of horror story. Um, so that should be fun. That's true, because I because one of the questions I actually did want to ask you is because obviously I think the the, the collection for the Melinda West stories is, is a really cool idea. Not that you were waiting on. Now that you have my approval, please, <laughs> you need it for me. But um, you uh, because you are very prolific and you have a lot of short stories out there. Um, you don't uh, any plans for you to come out with a sort of general collection of your favorites or anything like? Yeah, that? yeah. I actually I'm um in talks with publishers at the moment for a collection. So fingers crossed that would work out. And yeah, my short stories all tend to be um, kind of ordinary people bumping up against the edges of reality is mm -hmm. how I put it. So uh, yes, hopefully I'll be able to share news around that soon, fingers yeah. crossed. 
So you're really sort of like a really enthusiast. You love like like cosmic stuff, right? Because you know oh, that's yeah. I would be um, remiss um, because um, speaking of that, your store, the color of friendship and uh, chromophobia, which um, is a uh, which, which is a collection about colors, all done by um, by women, uh, right? It's but it is a collection. And I would be remiss because you know I read your story in it, and it was just sort of fascinating. It's just sort of really good. Um, because it's sort of like almost I see it as um almost like I don't know, like slice of life horror that becomes like you, you understand? I don't know if that makes yeah, sense, yeah. but it's just sort of like these common things that we deal with as adults with sort of friendships and that sort of thing, but it sort of takes a dark turn. And yeah. and I think that's sort of really unique because that anthology was all about color, right? Yeah. Um, such a cool concept. So every story was tied to a different color. Um, and mine was green because, you know, the lake they were on, kind of the the muck and the monster, but also for envy, right? Because it's about these toxic female friendships mm -hmm. and the character just feels, you know, really at odds with her friend group. And she's trying to make this weekend work and it's not working. And this underlying envy is kind of driving everything. And then uh, she makes friends with a monster. That And it's very fast friends, I must say. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and it works out well. It's just sort of a very sort of enjoyable sort of situation because I mean, reading it, not, you know, I mean, <laughs> but it's sort of fascinating. And I just see like, because obviously it's, like you said, these sort of real world, real world concepts, and you actually have a rather sympathetic uh, character who, you know, she's sort of dealing with things that we all sort of deal with and sort of interpersonal relationships and all that stuff. But, you know, once again, it sort of bumps against something that should not come out that's coming out. And I just sort of really love how you sort of do that. Um, with your stories um thank you uh casey for like sort of sitting down with me you know taking over the radio waves as it with me as, as it were with me for a bit and uh if you could please remind uh, um the listeners here where they can find you yes so my website is my name casey griffin g-r-i-f-a-n-t dot com and i'm the same casey griffin uh pretty much on all the socials i have just become more active on threads and blue sky um also on tiktok facebook instagram the list goes on and on so that's where you can find me everywhere so much it was so nice chatting with you All right, we are back from our break, and I'm excited to welcome Candace Nola to the Cutthroat Queens podcast. Um, Candace Nola is an award-winning author, editor, and reviewer. She writes poetry, horror, dark fantasy, and extreme horror content. Her books include Breach, Beyond the Breach, Hank Flynn, Bishop, Earth vs. the Lava Spiders, and the Unicorn Killer. She also has short stories in the Baker's Dozen anthology, Secondhand Creeps, American Cannibal, and Exactly the Wrong Things, and more. She is a creator of Uncomfort Uncomfortably Dark Horror, which focuses primarily on publishing and promoting indie horror authors and small presses, hey -oh, similar mission, uh, with weekly book reviews, interviews, and special features. Um, Uncomfortably Dark stands behind its mission to bring you the best in horror, one uncomfortably dark page at a time. So welcome, Candace. Thank you. 
excited to have you here today. Um, thank you for being a part of our, like, you know, we're kind of calling it like our speed dating author, <laughs> author feature episodes. Um, so yeah, I just kind of want to start with why do you write, Candace? Why do I write? Um, really, it's the only thing that I've ever wanted. Since oh. I learned to read, it was all I have ever wanted to do. So that's amazing. Have you been writing like since you were a little kid or? Yeah. Like... Yeah. I wrote a bunch of uh, little short stories when I was a kid and made uh, little books out of construction paper and um, started writing verses when I was about 11 or 12, moved on to short stories around like 14 or so. But by like 20, I had stopped for the most part because, you know, life and jobs and real world and had no clue how to even start. So I kind of thought, well, there's a pipe dream that I'll never do and kind of let that go for about 20 years. And then uh, 2019, a friend tricked me into writing a book. And here we are. Which book was that? Reach. Nice. Yeah, it was, you have so many books, which is really inspiring, especially knowing that you did all of that in what, like four, four About years, four and a half years. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. That's a lot to be <laughs> proud of. <laughs> um, how many books do you have out? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, I think by the end of this year, by the end of December, it'll be seventeen of my own um, novels, novellas, and some shorts. And then publishing-wise, add another, like, five or six under that to the publishing house of mine. So that is just a couple. Yeah, just a few. Just a couple little projects here and there. (laughs) I want to call you insane, but it's really cool. So um, that's really amazing. (laughs) It was like, once I wrote the first two, it was almost like the floodgates opened. And my brain just went into overdrive. And I've just not stopped. And it's just been story after story after story. So... Hey, Here keep going. Are. Yeah. Are you the type of person who writes every day? Yeah. Okay. Do you have like a goal or you just like sit down and, and see no, what comes I just out? Write. Yeah, I just okay. write. I write at least three hours a day, every day. I need some of your uh <laughs> your discipline. Um and with like nano rimo coming up, um, for our listeners, like that's um kind of a self-imposed ish, but like also a group um challenge in November for people to write a novel but um lots of talk about like output and goals and productivity and it can be overwhelming but you're good to go (laughs) yeah I'm fine in (laughs) this you're like nano who I got this (laughs) like what (laughs) I'm like dying for someone in the indie sphere to take some of those like stuff they wrote as a little kid and like put it out in some creative way so maybe maybe that's near future when you're talking about the construction paper books I'm just like oh man I want to see it (laughs) I actually do have two here that my mom had saved all these years and um (laughs) 
If you want to see one of those, I yes. probably put one on my website or my Patreon page or something. Oh my God. Yes. That but would be I so fun. Have two. One is a legit horror story, my first attempt, and it's horrible, but I will put it out there. And the other one is kind of a sad sort of feel good story that made my mom cry. Aww. It's real sweet. It does not qualify as a horror story, but so these children thought that the local old woman in town was a witch. So they always would stay away from her and they were very mean to her. And really, she was just sad and lonely because everybody had grown up and moved away and she didn't have anyone left. And she just really wanted to experience the kids and stuff again and like have just laughter in the house again and one of the kids finally like went over and spoke with her one afternoon and he convinced his friends to come over and they found out she was just really nice and sweet and she had kids in her house again and they got along well for a couple weeks and then the old lady dies but she dies (laughs) peacefully and happily in her bed because she got that last wish of hers and she finally had like some children around just for her to be a surrogate grandmother too and she peacefully and my mother cried. She's like, Why'd you kill her? And you're like, because 'Cause I'm a horror author mom. It's what I do, Mom. Yeah, like we we kill the cat, Mom. It's the how it's how we process. It was a sweet little story until the lady died. I love that. I love that about our genre. Like, I even talking to my mom, like, I wrote a story. She was like, your stories are always sad. And I was like, well, this one's kind of happy. And she's like, that one's not happy at all. And I was like, oh, well, it's perspective. <laughs> well, I thought it was. <laughs> right. I'm like, it was, like, bittersweet. You know, it's on the, it's on yeah. the spectrum of happiness. Exactly. It wasn't, like, an awful, like, she died peacefully in her bed at home. It wasn't, like, an awful, I didn't have one of the children, like, grab it and kill her <laughs> she just died save that yeah you can save that one for the sequel <laughs> yeah yeah part two that's actually a pretty good segue because i was gonna ask how you found how you got into horror as a genre but it kind of sounds like you've been there the whole time so yeah <laughs> um i was raised on it for the most part i discovered a edgar Allan poe by the time i was about eight um Alfred Hitchcock followed soon after that um my father was very much into horror and sci-fi so we did a lot of Twilight Zone and the old monster movies and the B movies from the video store and yeah I was pretty much raised on horror and kind of feel like I didn't have a choice like it was just in my blood I love that Nice. It's always yeah. cool to like hear these stories of people sharing that with like a parent or a grandparent or whatever um, when they're young mm-hmm. too. It's like I, I aspire to do that for the next generation. <laughs> Let me be someone's spooky aunt or something. Well, mine were actually um, paranormal investigators so about twenty years too. So, and we were always raised in a um, very open-minded household when it came to like spirits and 
coasts and things of that nature. So it was always interesting in our house when you gathered around a dinner table for holidays. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's so yeah. unique. <laughs> I've never even, I don't even think I've ever met a daughter of a, a ghost hunter or a ghost investigator. That's really cool. Uh, I was one of them. Um, we had a whole t- team and everything, and I went with them on a bunch of hunts and overnight investigations. And yeah, oh it was uh, it was a way of life for us. Do you have like a favorite experience or or a like worst experience if you want to talk about it? <laughs> um, we're not going to talk about any of the real experiences, but um. There was one overnight investigation we went on that was kind of slow and we were locked in there for the night and we were the only ones there. It was me, my mom, my dad, and my oldest child who went with us. And she was, I don't know, 23 or 24 at the time. So we're all in there and we were in this long hallway. It was pitch black. And you couldn't really see anything except what came in through the windows from the outside light and the moonlight and stuff. But um, it was three in the morning. We were loopy. I was tired. So you know the scene from The Exorcist where she crab walks down the steps backwards? And yeah, so I did that down the hallway. (laughs) You did that? Yeah, so I did a back bend and made my hair like real crazy and was like hanging to my face. And I started to like, crab walk down this long hallway in the dark and it was making these noises. And we realized after the fact that there were surveillance cameras <laughs> in this entire facility. And my mom and dad were like, Can you imagine what these people are going to see the next day when they're like, watching the video? And there I am just skittering down a hallway. Like oh, my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, guys. It was three in the morning. I'm tired. They're going to be like, they found something and they didn't even tell us. It's <laughs> a demon. Like, no, it was just me. I was bored. No, just bored. <laughs> just bored. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a cool hobby. Yeah. I've, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I could talk to you about that for five hours. So, I will, <laughs> I will not, but I could. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned Poe and Hitchcock and obviously like your mm-hmm. kitchen table as inspiration, but, um, what work, do you have any like specific works or like maybe more current authors or someone that inspires you? Oh man, that's such a long list. Um, <laughs> as far as inspiration goes, Edgar Allan Poe is probably my first and oldest and it would be the Telltale Heart. Mm-hmm. And the the Raven, I could recite both of those by the time I was nine. Like I, oh, could, wow. word for word, I could like perform each one of those. Um, Stephen King, I latched onto by the time I was ten. So of course, you know, I ate my way through all of his books. Just I like, could not get enough of them. I've read them over and over and over again. And then more modern people, especially now that I'm in the industry now, um, it was probably about 2008-2009 when I discovered Jeff Strand and Blake Crouch and Ronald Malfi and Jonathan Jans and Christopher Rufty and 
Oh my God. Um, Scott Nicholson, Jack Ketchum, Ed Lee, like just. So I got a Kindle for Christmas that year, one of those years, 2008 or nine. And mm -hmm. let me tell you, when I went down a rabbit hole and I found all of these books written in a way that I had just never experienced before, and all of these new concepts and new stories and just the graphicness and the horror that just didn't exist when I was younger, mm. man, it opened up a whole new world. And I was just reading and reading and reading and reading. Like I went down a massive rabbit hole and bought everything I could get my hands on. So a lot of my inspiration now probably came from that group there. But there's still a very heavy influence, like Edgar Allan Poe, I would say, is my strongest. Stephen King is a inspiration, but I don't want to say an influence on how I write. Yeah, that makes sense. There may be a little bit there because I do like how descriptive he is. And I know some people don't like how wordy he gets. And sometimes there's a little bit, you know, of wordiness <laughs> in his, but... I do like a more descriptive story. I like something that I can get lost in and like become immersed in. Like I want to be surrounded by the story. I don't just want to like read through action, 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 action. Like I want to smell it. I want to know what it feels like. I want, I want to be in the house. Like I don't just want to be like, and here's a room. Like I want to be in the house. Like tell me yeah. what it looks like, what colors to paint you know, or their cobwebs. Like I want to be immersed in it when I read because I read to get lost. Like I read to get away from the world that I'm in and I want to be completely immersed into something new. And I think a lot of how I write comes from that as well, because I do try to be very descriptive in how I write, but not overly so. I, I like to give you enough for you to get your own mental image of what I'm writing but mm -hmm. leave you enough that you can create your own house, your own room, yeah. kind of fill in the blanks, however you envision it. So there's enough that you know what the room looks like, but then it allows you to kind of fill in those blanks, which is how I like it too, because you kind of get your own mental version of the story as you read it, which yeah. I think is, which I think is the best way. So yeah, that's definitely like a pure form of escapism. Um, mm -hmm. and I think like reading bishops, um, you definitely do a good job of that with the outdoors and like the different scenes, like in the cave and just like, um, Casey and Aaron's like hiking experience and all that. So, um, yeah. I'm curious, like what went into your, um, outdoorsy and Alaskan research and if, if those are activities that you participate in yourself. No, I hate being outside. <laughs> I would have never guessed that from reading that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, let me rephrase. I hate being outside in the cold. Okay, I do you know enjoy I get, being outside. That. Yeah, I like being outside when it's warm. I like to fall. I like to hike. I don't mind going up in the mountains. I can camp. I can make s'mores. I can do all of that. I like that. I just do not like the cold. I'm not a fan of the cold or snow or ice. So the whole Alaskan thing... Um, the location itself was a key point of the story because of the background for the main character in the story. Mm -hmm. um, as far as Alaska, um, Alaskan research, I did I did a lot. Um, read a lot about it. I watched several documentaries. 
Um, I actually had one up that played on low when I was writing the book. So every time I looked up on my other screen, there was images of the actual um, national park where the story takes place. So I had like a constant scrolling like image of the park and the trees and the rainforest sections and the glaciers and the mountains and the cliffs. Like I was just immersed in it the whole time that I wrote. Um, I've also spent a lot of time outside as well and in the cold when I was a kid because my dad liked to hike and hunt and fish and camp and all of that. So we often mm -hmm. were outside in the cold. So I'm very familiar with what it smells like when it's cold, like that crisp sort of scent oh, the yeah. air gets when it's, and then you add the campfire smell in there and all of those different things. So I tried to take all of that that I was used to and in, in, incorporate that into the images that I was watching and kind of made my own version of Alaska. And quite a few people read it that lived there and said that I pretty much nailed it. So nice. That's that the best pleased. compliment you can get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, I spend a lot of time hiking and outside as well. Um, and I feel like there's just like kind of a unique, I don't, I'm also a Frady cat of like, I don't know, a lot of horror fans are, but there's just like a unique kind of sense of like your senses are just heightened when you're out there, like every mm -hmm. sound and every, you know, if you smell something weird or yeah. I don't know, like sh the shadows on the side, like I've, myself thinking I've seen a bear like five times and it's always just like a giant rock <laughs> or like a weird like shadow in the trees um so yeah I thought you captured that really well um because that people who don't do that kind mm -hmm. of stuff like they might not understand like how how it can feel when you're out in the woods especially yeah. if you're a young girl or a woman like by yourself um and the characters you create are both really brave and independent yeah. and awesome and strong but um yeah good job well like that's that. why I wrote them the way that I I had because you don't often have that especially when it comes to women and mm -hmm. especially when it comes to a teen so I took parts of her that were mostly based on me and experiences I had as a teen, as a young adult out in the woods and hiking and doing all these, these things. And I feel like I wanted her to know enough that she would have a chance, but I also wanted her to be seen as, yeah, she's still a young teen. She's still scared. She just has been, she's been trained in this and she's been raised in this since a young age. So she knows a little bit more than the average teen would. Like this has been her life because this is what she wants to do with her life. Yeah. But I also made her a normal young teen where she's very afraid of what is this thing that is stalking me? Like, I know enough now that this thing is like coming after me. I don't know what it is. I have no idea what's happening and I need to get to my mom. Like I wanted that to kind of drive her because yes, she's strong and she's brave and she can survive the woods, yeah. but it's that fear. It's like, she can't survive that. And all she wants is to get back to her mom. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like my two how I wanted her to be seen as like two halves of a whole. Strong and brave, 
but yeah. still a child who still wanted to get back to her mom because of the fear. Like I need yeah. to get back. You know, so there's an interesting like um I don't know, naivety is like probably not the best word, but about that age too, it's like I feel like adults will spend so much time trying to talk ourselves out of something like a little bit supernatural or and yeah. this might not be your experience given how you've grown up but like you know it's kind of just like that's the wind the house settling you know what I mean but like a teen yeah. a teen I feel like or a child is like more likely to be like there's definitely a monster like um, so that's kind of, yeah it's kind of a cool dynamic to like insert that into um into a monster story so it's neat um, I'm curious, like, are there other interests or, like, hobbies or um, activities that you take part in um, in your personal life that in, that um, influence your writing or your stories? Um, not really. I write. <laughs> I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> boring. Um, you are nothing, life, you I... are nothing boring adjacent at all from this conversation. <laughs> um. Most of my life, I read, I spent a lot of time just lost in the books, just read, 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 read. Um, I do paint sometimes when I have the chance, but that is a very recent thing over the last maybe two years or so. I taught myself and my son how to do acrylic core painting, cool. which is very easy if you don't know how to paint. Like me, I cannot draw, I cannot sculpt. Um, my stick figures are even bad. So, but I like art and I like the brightness of it. And when I stumbled across, you know, YouTube and TikTok and stuff, and I saw this thing called pore painting, I was like, well, that looks fun. You know, cool. and I thought maybe I can try that with my son. And we sat down one day and we gave it a shot and we really liked it. So we do that now from time to time when I can get away from my schedule long enough to do it. But that's fun. Um, my one main outlet with concern with with regards to my writing has always been verses. Um, but that's always been a more more of a personal outlet and yeah, then I published cool. a whole book of poetry back in June which was a very very intimidating thing for me to do because it was a highly personal project I think is the word I want to use because yeah. those aren't things that I normally put out there for the world to see that's usually just me and it's usually when I'm going through something that I need to process so I thought you know what if I'm going to do this I need to let everybody see like both sides of the coin you know I'm a horror writer too but I also have a heart and I have a soul and I've been hurt and I've been you know through all of this stuff so I took all the poems that I wrote from the last year or so and I put them all in there and I was like here you go this is me yeah. behind all the other stuff and that's why it's called Unmasked because it's me without the mask on it's me without the horror and without me being like on for interviews and a podcast and this and that this is me at my heart and um it did really well and got some really good reviews out there. So we'll see if I put another one out at some point. But it was scary. <laughs> yeah, that's like way scarier than horror. Highly personal stuff in here. And 
But um, I had a lot of folks come to me after that and thank me because they also write like that as well, but they were afraid to put their own stuff out there. And it actually inspired a few folks to put their own out, which I thought was really neat. So I was like, okay. Beautiful. Oh, congratulations. That's like, what better compliment is that is like giving somebody the strength and confidence to do that. Good for you. Well, I hope everybody checks out Unmasked. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where can they find that? Is that on Godless? Mm, Unmasked is on Amazon. And you can order it directly from my website too. Uncomfortably dark. All of my stuff is there. Excellent. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. Mm. Um, not to distract from your poetry, but um, I also noticed. Um, I listened to Bishop on audiobook, and I noticed mm. that you produced it. Um, which I thought was so unique, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what that experience was like. Um, I really didn't have a lot to do with that. Um, you can go on the a- Amazon audible platform as an indie author publisher and you can produce your own so the process involves putting out um, a script out there for people to read and you can choose which one you like the most and you make them an offer and they accept it and then they read through your script and they send it to you to approve but I was lucky enough that I actually stumbled across my narrator purely by chance, by which I mean he outright contacted me <laughs> through a mutual kind of of ours, and he offered to read it, and I was like, sounds good to me, you know, and we worked out a price, and he um, he actually narrated Hank Flynn first. And he also did the narration for Beyond the Breach also. also. So after he did those first two, then we went ahead and I just sort of kept him on to do all the rest of my other stuff. So he's basically going to be my narrator for all of all of my long, longer works. Cool. Right Got him on a retainer. He really did a great job. So that's found yourself a good one (laughs) he's great yeah that's awesome what is in store I I feel like I read somewhere that you have like a five book plan for Bishop is that Mm -hmm. accurate what's in store what can you tell us what's in store for Bishop's future I can't tell you anything if you read (laughs) part two um there will be a continuation directly from part two um the current storyline in part two I can't really say much on because if there are people that haven't read it listening it'll ruin it got it so (laughs) just know that it will pick up with the same storyline in part two and we are going to just bring that all the way through and everything already is planned out for part three four and five and we're going to start writing part three over the winter so Hopefully it'll be out in time for author con in Williamsburg next spring. Oh, awesome. I'll be there too. So I'll see you there. Me too. Yay. (laughs) Um, That's really exciting. Um, I also saw that you released like two books in a very short succession recently. Last week. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> Good for you. That's amazing. Can you yeah. are those your latest publications? I'm hope I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Um so the first one is called Transformation. And that is a novel. It is a creature feature novel. And it was actually written live on my Patreon website over the last like seven or eight months. Oh, wow. So I wrote it live every week and I would just post whatever I had written each week. And it was just raw, like no editing, no revisions, no corrections, nothing, typos and all. Wow. And I posted that each week. And the point of it was so everyone could see what that is like when it when it goes from here's the raw first draft and then when I got to the end of it of course I went back through and I revised it I cleaned it up I polished it and then everybody on the website they received on the Patreon page received the final version of the book free two weeks be two weeks ahead two weeks ahead of anyone else. So cool. not only did they get to read it live, but they also got the free full version when it was done ahead of everyone else. So I did that. And then it actually went live to everyone else on the Codbus platform on the 21st. And then the paperback will come out on the the Amazon website on Halloween. Awesome. What a cool project. What is um, Transformation about? Transformation is about a young man, a very unhappy, overweight, nasty, just young man. And he one day finds himself completely alone in the world when his mother dies. A woman he was very nasty to and very mean to. And he decides to make a change. And he wants to completely change how he is and how he acts. And he, um, the final part of that, after he goes through the first half of that, which is, of course, he attempts to lose weight and things like that, mm-hmm. is he makes this grand gesture. I'm going to hike the Pacific Northwest Trail oh, wow. all the way through. Like, this is going to be the last part of this change and if I can get myself through this trail on my own without any help you know when I'm done with that it'll be a way for my mom and dad to know that I've changed even though both his mom and dad are dead Mm -hmm. it was his way to make up for the person he was and to come out a new and improved version at the end of the trail wow that's sort of what it's about. But the trail and life on it does not go quite as planned. And he ultimately is completely transformed from the person he was into something new, but maybe not quite as he imagined. Yes, you did say creature feature. So now the dots are connecting for me. (laughs) That sounds really cool. And as a hiker, that sounds... Terrifying. (laughs) Well, congrats, and um, that will be, we might launch this the same day as your release, so that'd be a cool way to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, can you spend a couple minutes talking to us about Uncomfortably Dark? Uncomfortably Dark. So that was a great big idea I had when I started. How long, when did it start? 
Um, I started the website in January of 2020, I think. Wow. And that was right after I published my first novel. I was new. I didn't know what I was doing, didn't have a clue what to do next. And I thought, well, let me start reviewing some novels of the folks that I just met and became friends with. And maybe this is a way that I can become more like noticeable and more relevant in the industry, maybe give something back to those who have welcomed me. And I started my website and put my own stuff on there at first and had a little review page and some people took a chance and were like, hey, you know, here's my book if you want to review it. And here's another one. And it started to take off really well. And within a year or so, we were, we, I, me, I was getting a lot of um review requests and I was just swamped and slammed but people were paying attention cool and then I thought um by fall of last year I thought you know what this is going so well and we get so many requests I'm going to take all of my own stuff off of here and I'm going to turn this into a full-fledged indie horror community web page of its own Nice. So that's what I did. I took all of my own stuff off there. I actually have my own personal website now, which I'm not exactly officially launched yet because there's still a few things I want to add. But Uncomfortably Dark now has a full reviewed team. I have six folks that all have their own page. I have a page as well. We have um, author interviews and exclusives and cover reveals. I have pages of directories for indie horror um, authors, publishers, presses, cover designers, editors, reviewers, formatters. If you're an author and you need a resource, it's on the page. If you're a reader and you want to know what's coming out next or what your favorite author's website is, you can find it on that page. And if it's not there yet, let me know and I'll add it. Um, It is supposed to be just a one-stop shop for the indie horror world. Whether you're an author, reader, you can find what you need. Oh my God, that's amazing. So everybody needs to bookmark Uncomfortably Dark's website, (laughs) sign up for alerts or whatever, and uh, yeah. There's a news list. Um, There's a newsletter, subscriber list. Um, There's a Patreon page to support the website as well. There's a blog that I post stuff to every day. Um, So we post every weekend. So there are new updates, interviews, and reviews by Saturday evenings, usually no later than eight, unless I'm out of town for an event. Um, so yeah, we post between 10 to 22 indie horror book reviews a week. Oh my goodness. And this I have is a like- great team and they've been amazing and it's a lot, but I love it. Like it's, we put out a lot in- like we're working on it. Like we get so many requests and we're reading as fast as we can, but oh, yeah. they have done an amazing job. So 
Wow. Well, thank, thank you for all you're doing for authors and creators yeah. and illustrators. That's amazing. So what yeah. an awesome resource. A lot of them have helped me and have helped push me along and get the word out. So this is like my way of trying to give a lot of that back or at least pay it forward. So awesome. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, we are getting close to the end. Uh, that okay. went by really quickly. It's been lovely talking to you. Um, I was hoping you could wrap up by just letting us, I mean, you kind of obviously uncomfortably dark is yeah. your biggest project or, you know, your biggest website project, I think. Um, but can yeah. you let us know where we can follow you and find your work? Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Blue Sky and Facebook under my name and also on TikTok under Uncomfortably Dark. You can, of course, find me on the website, too. And when the official launch of my personal page takes place, probably within the next month, you'll be able to click into either one of the websites directly from the home page. Cool. Yeah. And um, everybody can keep an eye out or you can go to Godless and get unmasked now or keep an eye out for the paperback in the next week. Six days. Yep. <laughs> um, well, thanks for coming. Is there any last thing you want to plug or say to our listeners or anything? Um, let me see. The start as in, um interviews are underway right now. So those are 12 authors, 12 weeks, 12 questions questions and at the conclusion of that will be the release of the new anthology the dark disasters which will be the third and the third anthology connected directly to the uncomfortably dark website so oh that sounds awesome look for that at the end of november perfect Mm -hmm. well thanks for coming today candace it's been great Thanks for having me. I'm coming back around. I'm coming back around.